Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. Okay, if you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll look at a total of two verses tonight. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Allow me to read this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people... But now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In these two verses, God used Peter to show us the relationship between the church, Christians, and the people of Israel. If, if your Bible's like mine, anytime that there's a quote in it that's using other scriptures, it's all in capital letters. So basically most of what we just read, verses 9 and 10, have quite a bit of capitalized words in them. Uh, Most of this comes directly from the Old Testament as well as the the book of Deuteronomy. So I'll read a passage out of Deuteronomy that contains much of this in just a little while. But we look and this quote kind of compares our relationship with God's relationship with, with Israel. And the question always comes... Have we as Christians replaced the nation of Israel? And the answer is no. God has given us a special relationship with him that is very similar to the relationship that he has with Israel. But we have not replaced them. God's promises to the nation of Israel are still in place right now. Uh, His word says that at that end time that there will be a gathering, a, a drawing of his people Israel to himself. We don't understand that. We don't understand why his nation as a general rule has rejected him, but not all have. And there are many believing Jews today. And when Peter was writing this, he was writing to the diaspora, which basically means the Jews who are not no longer in Palestine, the Jews who are out in the in different areas. So uh The churches that he was writing to in these Asia Minor areas, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, let me see if I can, says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered the diaspora throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. So he's writing to these area churches who are out in Asia Minor and They are predominantly made up of believing Jews, even though there are uh, Gentiles as well with them. So it's been a while. You may may or may not have been a part of the study, but one time I did a study showing the little bitty nation of Israel. Y'all know how small it is? And then all the Arab world around it, and it's like, you know, a mushroom around it. If you put the Arab world in blue or whatever, and you got Israel in red, here's the Arab world, here's Israel. It is that much. Now you don't, 
There's no way that you can tell me God does not have his hand on that little bitty nation to protect it from all the other nations that want to annihilate it. And several have tried and they have failed. (laughs) There's one called the Six Day War where in six days the nations around Israel tried to attack and annihilate them. At the end of six days Israel owned more land than they did before because they had captured those who had been trying to attack them. So again, we don't understand God's full relationship with Israel, but we got to remember he keeps his promises. When God started off with a man named Abram, who became Abraham, he basically said, all the land that you have walked will be your land. It will be a nation. And from that day forward, we saw just a little ragtag group of people, and then they all went into Egypt to, to escape the famine, and then there became a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. You've heard that story. And he saw that the Israelites were a threat, so he began putting them under slave labor, and they started crying out to God, and God led them out. He rescued them. He bought the price, paid the price to get them out of, of, out, of it, out of Egypt. And so God has always kept his promises all the way back to the forefathers. So how does that relate to us? Are we the new Jerusalem? Are we the new Jews? We're not the same. We're not equal. But there is a very strong similarity between God's relationship with Christians as it is with his nation of Israel. And today we're going to see those similarities. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. And listen, he is writing... God is using Moses to talk to the people of Israel. Not Christianity, the church, is nowhere in anybody's thoughts at this time other than God's. This is way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. Listen to how many similarities there are to what I just read that Peter is talking to Christians in his day. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Hmm. Have you noticed the similarities to what we had just read? Out of all the people on the face of this earth. Now, why did God choose Israel? Because they were the biggest and best, right? Nope. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because of God's love, the Lord's love, uh, but because the Lord loved you and kept his oath, which he swore to the forefathers, the Lord brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh's king of Egypt. So basically what we're seeing here is almost the exact same wording that God was using Moses to tell the people of Israel about. Now... Peter is using very similar words to talk about Christians. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions. Very, very similar to what we just read out of Deuteronomy. So God did not choose Israel because they were the best people on the face of this earth. 
Matter of fact, when he chose Abram, Abram was not a believer in God. He, was, he had kind of a different religious background. But God called Abraham and said, go, leave the place that you are. And he left that and went to the Ur of the Chaldeans and on and on and ended up into what is now called the promised land, the nation of Israel. And God just kept leading him. And every step that Abraham took with God, he became a stronger believer in what God was doing. And finally, you remember the saying, Abraham believed God and God credited it as righteousness. At that moment, Abraham was a true child of God. And so we look and we see that God promised these things to the forefathers, Abraham, that he would always be with his people. We look at the, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob, also known as Israel, had the 12 sons who became basically the 12 tribes of Israel. And they came out of Egypt and they settled into the promised land. So God promised this to the nation of Israel. Now what is he promising to us? You, us, are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So let's break this down and look at verse 9. And first of all, it says that we are a chosen race. We are a chosen race, not the Israelites. We're not talking about them, but we as Christians are now considered to be a chosen race. Well, Abraham did not choose God, right? God chose Abraham. Did you know that we did not choose God, that God chose us? I struggle to understand God's election, providence, and choosing and things of this nature. Does he only choose certain people? I don't believe that. I believe that is whosoever will may come. But God is calling people to himself. He uses the word of God and the spirit of God to draw people to himself. But before we were Christians, we had no desire for God. Now, I have to clarify something. I grew up in a strong Christian home. I was taught from the time I was a baby to love God. You know, I, I learned all those uh, little Bible songs when I was growing up. So I felt that I always loved God. But it wasn't until I was convicted by the scriptures through the Holy Spirit that I was a sinner and that I was lost in my sins. And it's only then that I understood that God was truly calling me to be one of his children. God is the one who initiates the calling. If it wasn't for his word and for his Holy Spirit, God working in the lives of individuals, we could not become a child of God. He has chosen us in his own unique way. The only thing I can say is I can't understand it because my mind is not the mind of God and I cannot comprehend the mind of God. Would that suffice for y'all? I hope so. But he chose us out of his mercy, not because we deserved it. The Israelites didn't deserve it and neither did us. Do, uh, do we? Uh, he redeemed us out of, out of our slavery, just like he redeemed Israel out of the slavery of Egypt. He redeemed us out of the slavery of sin, and he has bought us with a price. The price is the blood that was shed on Calvary. So we are a chosen race. He chose us to be his people.
Now, the second thing is we are a royal priesthood. Now, in the Israelite group, there was one tribe that could be priests. They were, they were the only ones that could serve as priests. Do y'all remember which tribe it was? Levi. Tribe of Levi. Okay, if you were not of the tribe of Levi, you could not serve as a priest. And there was a separation from the royalty and the priesthood. A king could not serve as priest. One of them tried and he ended up with a pretty bad taste in his mouth afterwards because God condemned him for doing that. But basically only the tribe of Levi could serve as priest. Now each and every person of the tribe of Levi was of the priestly tribe. It doesn't mean that they all could be a high priest or a chief priest. It just means that they all served the Lord in a priestly manner. Some of them had the simple job of going in and replacing the showbread or or trimming the, the lampstand and putting oil in it. Some of them, that was as simple as it was. Some of them attended the, the coals uh, for, for the altar. There's a lot of different ways that they served. Um, but anyhow, you had to be of the priestly tribe. Now what God is saying through Peter here is that we are all, as Christians, royal priesthood. Now how do we get to the royal part? Did you know that we're children of a king? Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. We are his, we are God's children. We are in that reign with Jesus. The Bible says that we are co-heirs, brothers and sisters with Christ. That means that we are of a royal nature in God's eyes. But priesthood. Anybody try to go back through their lineage and see if you are part of the tribe of, of, of Levi? I don't think any of us are. What we find out is that God has made us priests. Now let's go back to the Old Testament priests. How did you petition God? How did you make an offering to God? Did you do it on your own? You had to go through the priests. The priests were the go-between between man and God. You could not worship God. You could not make an offering to God. You could not uh, pray to God without a priest interceding on your behalf. Now, any of y'all ever had to use a priest to, to pray to God, to worship God, to make an offering to God? Oh, you know why? Because you are a priest. You have the privilege to go before the throne of God on your own, with no others in between, no human anyway. What we do know is that God has provided help for us when we pray, when we worship. When we pray, His Holy Spirit interprets our, our innermost thoughts and desires, and He interprets it to the Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ sits at God's right hand and intercedes on our behalf. He, he brings our prayers to the Lord, but we don't need a human being. We don't need a priest to be our go-between us and God. We have the privilege to go to God at any time, anywhere, for any reason. Whether it's for prayer, petitions, worship, offerings, whatever it is, we are a holy, royal priesthood. Y'all understand how, how unique that is? How privileged we are to have that relationship with God? 
Would y'all like to have to find a priest every time you wanted to pray? Find a priest every time you felt like you needed to make an offering? Find a priest to lead in worship? We don't need that, do we? You can worship it at home, in the church, in your car, wherever you are. You can pray anywhere. You can make an offering to the Lord at any time. You don't need another human being to do that. The third thing is we are a holy nation. The word holy means set apart, sanctified, set apart for God's specific purpose. We are his set apart for a purpose, holy nation. Now, when he sets us apart, does that mean that we're to isolate ourselves from everything like, like the monks did or still do, I guess? where they isolate themselves from the world, where they won't be tainted by the things of the world. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus was right in the midst of it. He went where the people were. He went where the need for salvation was greatest. He did not isolate himself. He separated himself spiritually, but he did not isolate himself physically. So there's a big difference between being set apart for service and being isolated from the world. Now, we know that we are now citizens of heaven. We're now aliens here on earth. And what we realize is that we need to be distinctive between the world around us because we don't belong. We need to show the world that we are different. The Bible says that we are a peculiar people. That's another way of putting this. And uh, so, I know that in today's world, nations have become very fluid. At one time, uh, each nation was very distinct in, in its makeup. Like Chinese were pretty much, very much Chinese, Japanese, Japanese, and things like that. Uh, the, the biggest melting pot I have ever seen is the nation of Brazil. There is every single nationality that blended together. Pretty much every single interpreter I had, I would ask them, you know, where they're from. Well, my dad was German. My mom was Japanese. I mean, just about all of them came from a, you know, a blend of different countries coming together. And it, it was really interesting to see the makeup. And, and so Brazil is a very blended nation. The United States has become a very blended nation. We have so many people from other nations that have come in that there, we kind of lost you know, our, quote, American identity. But we as children of God, as a holy nation, need to hold on to our distinction. We don't need to blend in to society. We don't need to make society think we're just one of them. We need to be separated. We need to be spiritually separated, living in a different way than the rest of the world. Now, the last part says... And we are a people for God's own possession. God bought us. He paid a price. He redeemed us through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. We are His possession. We belong to Him. He has, number one, He created us. Y'all do know that, right? We were created by God. But even being creatures that He created... We wandered away through our sin. We're born in sin. And then he redeemed us by dying for us. He paid through blood the price to pay for the sin guilt 
that we have. So he redeemed us. He bought us back. So now we as Christians are his own possession. So we look and we see that we now belong to him. With that freedom uh, comes responsibility. If we truly belong to the Lord, we need to strive to bring honor and glory to him. If, if we're living life for our own glory, then we're not living in a way that honors God. So we need to seek uh, to honor God in all that we do. We need to lift up our Lord Jesus Christ and praise Him for being our Redeemer who has authority over us because He died in our place for us. He rose to give us salvation and eternal life. So we need to realize that we are now surrendered to Him as Lord. So then the last part of that is why? Why are we a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God for God's own possession? Here's the why. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into marvelous into his marvelous light. So what he is saying is we need to be proclaimers so that you may proclaim the goodness of God, his excellencies. He has called us out of darkness, out of sin, out of death, and He has shown us His marvelous light. He has shown us the way to salvation. And it says we are to proclaim these things. How do we proclaim them? How do you proclaim anything? You tell people what you know. There is, I've shared this before, there, probably back in the 60s or 70s, there became across many uh, uh, Christian denominations, this idea of lifestyle evangelism. We're going to live good, godly lives, and people will see us living good, godly lives, and they'll say, I want to be like that. So I will ask them what makes them live a good, godly life. You know what? Nobody ever asked me. Because most people consider themselves good. Most people consider themselves as being good. So they looked at my good deeds and their own good deeds and they said, I don't see much difference. So why go to church every Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday and why give an offering and a tithe? Why do all these things when my lifestyle matches theirs pretty well? Folks, lifestyle evangelism does not work. Just being good and showing people that God lives in me is not enough. This says that we may proclaim His excellencies, that He brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's our personal testimony. We share with people that we were once in darkness. We were once dying in sin. And that God showed us the light. The light is Christ. He showed us that the only way for our sins to be forgiven is to accept what Jesus did on the cross, dying for our sins, dying for the penalty of our sins, dying placing in our place, taking that death penalty, and giving us life anew through his resurrection. So we're basically sharing the gospel. And as we share the gospel, the word of God, then God's Holy Spirit will take the gospel and will use that to draw people towards himself. Will everybody that we proclaim this gospel to accept Christ? Unfortunately not. But I can almost guarantee you they won't accept Christ without hearing it. Unless somehow they come across the word of God and out of 
curiosity begin reading it and the Holy Spirit convicts them of their sin through what they read. That's what the Gideon ministry is all about, placing the gospel where people might just pick it up and read it. But we look and we see that he wants us to be proclaimers. That means we need to be bolder about sharing the gospel with the world around us. That's what the, why? So that we can proclaim. He made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that we might do this, proclaim his gospel. Then he goes in verse 10. You were once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. And you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a time in every one of our lives, every Christian's lives, that we were not a child of God. We were not his people. Before we truly came to that point where we were, felt the conviction of our sins and knew that if we died that moment that we would go to hell, that we would be separated from God, that we knew from the scriptures that Jesus died for us in our place and we believed that we could place our faith in him and receive his gift of salvation and eternal life. It's only at that point that we move from not being his people to being a child of God, being a people of God. And so that's what he's saying is that you were not his people, but now you are his people because you are, he's writing to a group of believers and he's reminding them that there's a time in their lives that they were not believers. And so how did that come across? Because at first you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's the picture. Mercy. Not receiving what you deserve. As sinners, what do we deserve? Death. Eternal death. Total, eternal separation from God. If you want to get real technical and read about hell, that's what we deserve. Hell is separation from God, and it is an eternal punishment because we have rejected His Son, Jesus. Mercy is not receiving what we deserve. At first, we had not received mercy. That's where we were headed. But because of God's great love for us, we have received his mercy. He has shown us his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ. Now that we have received his mercy, we have also received his grace. Mercy is not receiving what we should receive, eternal separation from God. Instead, he's given us his grace, which is giving us something we don't deserve which is this gift of salvation and eternal life. So in two verses, Peter is telling us how privileged we are that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possessions, and we don't need to take that lightly. With every privilege comes great responsibilities. If God has gone through all this, sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, redeemed us through his blood, then we have a responsibility. What is that responsibility? Well, several different things. He set us apart, set us apart for his service. Uh, he's given us a divine access to God, which means we need to take full advantage of the privilege we have to go before the throne of God, praying for our own needs, praying for God's will to be done in my life, in your life, praying for God to strengthen the church, that he will build up the church and use us for his honor and glory. 
We need to see that as a blessing and a tremendous responsibility. But we also need to be proclaimers of the gospel. We need to see the opportunities that God gives us every day, throughout the week, throughout the months, that he puts people along our paths that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They can hear it by us sharing our own personal testimony, by interacting the, uh, or adding the simple gospel presentation through our, our, our uh, testimony. Or we can share like a Roman road plan of salvation. We can find the little tracks and say, you mind if I go through this with you? But as I shared before, invite them to church where they can hear this. Because let me tell you something. Most of the time, there is something evangelistic in what I preach. If not, and I see somebody out in the congregation, I don't know who they are, and I assume that they may need the Lord for salvation... Somehow or another, I'm going to add a plan of salvation into that message, or at least the closing. Because I want everyone to always hear how they can be saved. And so, we need to be proclaimers of the gospel. We need to take seriously the privilege we have to be a child of God, to be able to go before His throne at any time, under any circumstances, anywhere we are. We don't need a priest to do it for us. We are holy, sanctified, separated, set apart for His service. Now, if we are truly sanctified, set apart, that means that we don't need to just blend in with the world around us. We need to be found different. We need to be the peculiar people that God possesses. And so, we going back to last week, we need to see ourselves as the living stones that build up the church. Each stone stacked together Resting upon each other. We need to lean on each other for strength and support. We need to uh, see ourselves as integral parts of the church. Now, I'm not talking about First Baptist Macon. I'm talking about the church globally. Wherever God's people are, we are all the church. So let's take our responsibilities seriously and see our opportunities to pray, to minister, to separate ourselves, to show ourselves different, and to proclaim his gospel. Let's close with prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your word tonight. Lord, I thank you for the rain that we've had, that that our soil needs to to grow the crops and to provide the water for our sustenance. Lord, we're thankful that uh, you're with us tonight. Lord, we have just read about how privileged we are as your children. Lord, you have blessed us beyond measure. Lord, with that blessing comes a responsibility. Help us, Lord, to, be, to take that responsibility seriously, to separate ourselves from the world, to, to not allow ourselves to, to, to take on the, the stench of the world, but to keep ourselves pure and holy in your sight. Allow us to be used by you to proclaim that good, uh, that great gospel that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the truth that you've given us tonight. Guide us as we live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.